Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our readers and listeners of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. Uh, with that, we hope you're in a comfortable position along with your favorite beverage to enjoy the discussion. We want to thank our audience uh, for questions coming from Randy D, Jimmy Z, Luke A, and Dave V. Jay Serena has joined us. Jay is the Chief Financial Officer of New Scale Power, a company that is leading the change in the nuclear power industry with small modular reactors, also known as SMRs. Beyond nuclear, New Scale is looking to deploy widespread power for all humankind. New Scale is based out of Portland, Oregon, and has a number of offices around the globe. Jay, thanks for coming on. Thank you. Really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you and uh, get our message out to your listeners. Jay, so tell us a bit about your background and why did you end up at New Scale? Well, so I've been at New Scale for almost 10 years now. Um, since New Scale was only about 20 employees back in uh, you know, the 2008-2009 timeframe, um, my background is I, I'm not a lifelong nuclear power uh, career person, but I do have background from uh, being in the nuclear navy. Uh, back in the mid to late 80s, uh, where I was a nuclear submarine officer. And when I got out of the submarine Navy, got my MBA, and decided to stay in the energy realm, uh, prior to coming to New Scale, I've been uh, working for mostly private companies in the energy space and the generation uh, of electricity, whether developers or companies like that. Uh, so I've been in the space for a while, but this is my first foray back into nuclear power since my uh, Navy nuclear days. Okay. Well, Jay, on that subject, uh, can you can you tell us uh, what the uh, what the name what the name of the uh, the submarine was, and, and maybe give us just a little just a little glimpse of your experience in that uh, in that business and, and that uh, kind of uh, task. Sure. Um, so the submarine that I was mostly on when I was a junior officer was uh, the USS Miami, uh, which is has been decommissioned. It actually got decommissioned several years ago because there was a fire on board that was deliberately set. So it's no longer in existence, but uh, the submarine I was on was commissioned in 1990, and I got to the submarine in 1987 and was uh, there from 1987 to 1991, and uh, pretty much had a lot to do with uh, helping to uh, commission uh, the nuclear reactor on the submarine, and then as a junior officer to be a watch officer uh, on the uh, nuclear submarine. So I spent a lot of my time in the engineering spaces. Uh, you know, spent a lot of time studying to be to get to be engineer qualified, which I was engineer qualified on uh, the reactor that was on the Miami, and uh, you know, really enjoyed. The opportunity to learn all of that in uh, during a period of time when, especially when the submarine navy was uh, was a little bigger than it is today, and uh, during a period of time when uh, was unclear, given the world situation, what might happen. Uh, shortly after, uh, while I was leaving the navy, uh, you know, things settled down a bit with respect to you know the Soviet Union falling apart. Uh, but, you know, I was happy to be 
commissioning a submarine, working in nuclear power, and doing all that during that period, which was a very interesting period of time. Well, what a experience uh, to to be able to uh, do that. I mean, it certainly takes uh, some expertise and some skills, and to be able to be involved with that, and uh, quite uh, quite fascinating for me anyway. So, uh, very very good. Uh, appreciate the information on that. Uh, so moving on, uh, sentiment regarding nuclear technology and its critical place in any robust energy mix has been under fire since the events surrounding Fukushima. Is the nuclear power industry and the advancements in nuclear technology misunderstood due to a false perception among the public and even some governments? Well, certainly there's, you know, over time, been a lot of debate about nuclear power and its role. Uh, in our energy mix. And uh, I, for one, believe that we need nuclear power in our energy mix and that the benefits of nuclear power far outweigh any perception of risk associated with nuclear power. Um, even with the events of Fukushima, um, you know, the, the technology that NuScale is working on uh, would not have had the issues that occurred at Fukushima. I mean, the technology has moved far enough along that even in some very extreme situations, you know, we won't have the issues that happened at Fukushima or any other uh, you know, of the problems that have been in the past from the large plants. And you know, technology has moved far enough along that you know, we can confidently say that this is a, a safe way of of generating carbon-free electricity. And, you know, that carbon-free electricity as we go into the future, uh, you know, in our mind is is very, you know, very important for the world and, and for the U.S. as well, uh, given that, you know, in today's world where we need all types of power, uh, we need intermittent power such as wind and solar, uh, we need baseload power, such as nuclear power, to be able to make sure that the lights stay on 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, and we need that to be carbon free, uh, given the you know, problems associated with climate change. So you know, our technology and nuclear in general, I believe has a, a role to play. Um, and the perception of nuclear as a you know, something to be feared uh, by anyone is misplaced, in my opinion. Right, right. And there's there's so many so many different avenues that the the media or what have you and, and the public that does not fully understand how these systems operate, the controls that are in place to reduce uh, risks uh, since since going back uh, over the sixty three some years of commercial reactor operating history. Uh, so, you know, folks really need to dig deep and take a look at uh, the benefits that are provided and the, uh, the real uh, situation that occurs when, when there is a problem at one of these plants. Uh, you know, I think people often automatically take it for, uh, you know, there's a hurricane coming uh, to Florida and uh, look out that nuclear power plant there is going to explode and there's going to be it's going to be like a nuclear bomb go off. And that's just not the case at all. Um, so it's, in fact, is quite the opposite. They're extremely robust and uh, are built to withstand uh, significant uh, severe situations. 
And with new scale, new scale is taking that to a level uh, never seen before by the industry. So it's quite impressive the work that's going on. Um, so what what can the nuclear power business do at this point to improve sentiment? And what is new scale doing specifically to kind of lead this effort? Um, you know, that's a difficult question to figure out exactly how to uh, change perceptions and change sentiment over time. First, I, I think it's slowly moving in that direction, uh, given just the reality and the pragmatism of we want to have a carbon-free uh, way to generate electricity and that we need to have carbon-free way of generating electricity. And the reality that uh, at least for baseload technologies, the only real viable way to generate you know, baseload electricity in a carbon-free manner that's scalable is nuclear. So I think perceptions over time are changing with that reality and also with the reality of being able to talk about new technologies like new scale and there are many other technologies that are getting developed uh, both in the US and internationally, um, which would address some of the problems of the past with nuclear power, which as we talked about really weren't huge risks to begin with. Um, you know, what New Scale is trying to do is make sure that we provide the information to the public and to through our websites and through all of the marketing that we're doing that we do believe that this is a technology that is needed and can significantly benefit mankind, not just, you know, people in the United States. Really, this is a it's an international product. Um, many places around the world need clean, carbon-free baseload electricity. And we believe that we have a solution that uh, provides that at a cost that is economic. And with that combination of things, we believe that this truly is a, you know, a, a game-changing technology um, with respect to places all over the world. And it's not just for electricity. It can be used for uh, heating loops it can be used for desalination. It's it's more than just providing electricity. It's it's essentially a way to provide energy to places around the world that maybe haven't had the opportunity to to have that energy like this in the past. Um, small modular reactors like New Scale are able to go into countries that can't put onto their grid, you know, a thousand megawatt or twelve hundred megawatt unit. They just it's just would be too much and too much energy to put on certain countries' grids. So um, sure. the ability for us to be able to do that uh, really changes the the equation on on nuclear power around the world. And as we go out and try to educate people on you know what we're doing, uh, what other new nuclear technologies promise can bring, um, you know I, I think that's the path that to success that we'll have going forward to uh, you know, not only bring this to deployment in the United States, which we're on a, already on a path to deploy this first plant in the United States, but also to um, you know, convince and market to the rest of the world that this is a viable long-term solution for what we're doing. Right, and uh, I think that uh, especially here in the US, um, you know, the Department of Energy uh, there needs to be a collaborated effort to 
come out and provide public awareness, whether it's the Department of Energy, the government, you know, the, the various agencies involved, uh, the NRC, uh, FERC, you know, if they're involved, uh, these types of agencies need to do more on the awareness side. The utilities, the major conventional utilities in the United States need to, need to do more on the awareness side. Um, I think there can be a real effort, too, in, in some of the public figures and some of the larger investors uh, that are backing this space, uh, some of the names. Um, there's even some names in the, in the media that are very popular folks, uh, kind of a public eye, um, can provide awareness that are, that are all you know, pro-nuclear pro technology, uh, pro-SMR. Uh, so I think there's a lot that can be done, and there's a lot of uh, different avenues in which uh, it can be pursued. So um, moving on to another question, we want to get in more to the details of the new scale technology. Um, so kind of tell us uh, about, about new scale and, and tell us about the, the major features of the SMR. Sure. So uh, an SMR by definition, so small modular reactor is a reactor that uh, by definition is less than 300 megawatts in size. So new scales, uh, individual reactors, which we call a power module, it produces 60 megawatts of electricity. It's about 180 megawatts thermal uh, power. And it's, you know, in that size that can be used, you know, can be legitimately called a small modular reactor. Now, we are able to gang or, you know, utilize a number of those modules in one plant to basically give a customer the opportunity to build anywhere from 60 megawatts to our largest plant configuration that we're working on right now is, a, is 720 megawatts. So uh, it's scalable and truly scalable. Um, in 60 megawatt byte sizes, uh, which makes it uh, very attractive for uh, some places around the world, as I was talking about, that really can't put a thousand megawatts or doesn't need that that much power on their grid. Some places, you know, island nations or places that need, say, 300 megawatts, they could install five of our modules in one plant and provide resilient power that way. Um, the heart of the technology is you know, a pressurized water reactor, which is the same technology that's been used uh, both in the Navy and uh, for our commercial power plants in the United States for, as you said, 60 plus years, and it's been used safely. Um, and the technology that uh, NuScale has, uh, one of the reasons why it is such a compelling safety case is because it's, it's very passive. So the uh, the way the electricity is generated is by the creation of steam in a nuclear power module. And the nuclear power module is essentially, uh, you know, essentially a thermos bottle. So we have a uh, pressure vessel which holds the core, and in that core with nuclear fuel at the bottom, um, it heats up water. That water rises, and that water, as it rises uh, and picks up heat, turns to steam. As it turns to steam, that uh, creates steam that goes out into a secondary system to create electricity. And that water that's rising up in that thermos bottle, then as it loses its heat, it falls back down. And that's all done with gravity and convection. It doesn't require any pumps, any uh, you know, uh, parts that are moving. It doesn't require 
a lot of things that are more associated with you know traditional nuclear power plants. So it it's very simple and very safe, and uh, not only is it safe, but because of that simplicity, it makes the the modules very economic because there are there just aren't a whole lot of moving pieces to this uh, what I'm essentially calling a thermos bottle. And it's also very safe because that thermos bottle within uh, you have one shell and then a second pressure vessel around that shell. That's the containment. So that's that replaces what people traditionally think about when they see large nuclear power plants today. They see a big building, a you know, big dome building that uh, is meant to you know, keep anything that might happen with respect to any uh, emissions from a nuclear power plant out, out from the atmosphere. And we have this system where that's basically being done by these two metal shells. And even outside of those metal shells, those, that thermos, thermos bottle is placed in a pool of water, which is the ultimate heat sink. So if there's any issues, the water is already there to cool everything down and it can do that indefinitely without any operator action. Um, and that in itself is, is put in a seismic category one building, which is meant to withstand a uh, 747 hitting the building. So very robust uh, system to actually generate electricity that because of the way, because of its simplicity, uh, it's also economic and we can build these smaller units uh, economically where most people would have said, well, in the past, nuclear power is all about the economics of scale. We're now turning that around and not doing economics of scale, we're doing economics of small and being able to factory manufacture the portions of the power plant that are the sensitive nuclear portions rather than having to build that on site and makes it much more economic and much safer from a construction standpoint. Right. Well, you, you said a lot there and there's a lot, there's a lot of pieces that are, that are important, um, you know, for, for a country that doesn't have the budget to spend five, 10 or $15 billion on a conventional large plant can now look at scale and say, you know, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna purchase some of these and they're gonna do so at a much lower cost and they can set up their, their system. And then with that too, uh, it's my understanding that these individual modules, while can work all together, can also work independently. So if you have one, one that doesn't work or needs to be refueled, the other ones continue to work. And so um, it's, it's a very interesting technology and in the fact that there is very, very little uh, human interaction when these things are operating because they kind of self-regulate is also quite important because you can say that some of these uh, past events have been mostly on the human error side uh, and, and so forth. So it's, it's interesting the, uh, the technology and, and uh, kind of where it's, where it's going. So, um, and, and Jay, feel free to correct me if I've got something incorrect here. Uh, certainly step out and, and let me know if I've got my, my facts wrong. Um, so with, with that, another important feature that's really interesting, which I don't know much about how it really works. Maybe you can explain it. So the, uh, the new scale SMR treats water. Uh, how, does, how does it do that? Well, first, for the portions of the plant that uh, where the water within the reactor components, uh, that water is all in a closed system. So that water, and as well as the water that's in the pool, in general is not being consumed. 
Uh, it's in a closed system. You obviously have some leakage and some makeup water requirements. But for the water usage for our plant, as in many uh, plants that are steam-based, is mostly around cooling the steam down um, once you've used the steam to create electricity to then use that water in the system again. And typically that involves using uh, you know, cooling towers, which are, uh, you know, their ultimate heat sink often is a river or a lake or the ocean, because that's where most of the heat will typically go. Um, the advantage of our plant is we certainly can use that type of system where the ultimate heat sink would be, uh, you know, a river, a lake, or uh, the ocean. Um, but our plant is not limited to being able to be cooled that way. Uh, there's also air cooling that can be done essentially by cooling towers that are cooled by the air. And by doing that, you're using much less, much less water is being consumed and getting heated up. Uh, you are using a, a bit more electricity to, to move the airflow to uh, allow for the heat to be taken out by the air, but uh, that air cooling alleviates a lot of the issues of, uh, you know, using a lot of fresh water to cool the plant. And it's, you know, a very novel way of, uh, which is not just available to our plants, but, you know, to a lot of other plants as well, to make sure that we are not uh, you know, overusing the, the fresh water source. Okay, and 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 so there. So for the uh, you mentioned desalination. How, how does it? How does it? How does it do this? And so essentially, this this SMR technology can potentially provide uh, water. You know, basically desalinate water. Is that how it works? Or it could be. Yes. So um, imagine, say, a 720 megawatt new scale facility that has 12 modules in it. Um, as you said, those modules are independent. So one could, if they want the plant to create both electricity and water, you could dedicate one or two modules um, to, to have the option of either creating electricity or creating uh, water through a desalination system. So essentially, you're taking the heat that that nuclear power plant is creating and the steam that it, you know that comes about from that, and instead of using it to make electricity by putting a turbine on the back end, you can also put a desalination plant on the back end to take that heat and that steam, and use that to uh, you know basically boil water in a desalination process to get rid of uh, and you know basically make fresh water. And there are a number of different systems once you have the uh, steam. Um, different technologies for desalination that are on the back end that could be used and coupled with our plant. And the reason why that's you know, fairly exciting for us is there are a number of places around the world that have contacted us and asked us about, you know, what is your business case for being able to create water as well? And we, you know, we can walk them through the numbers and walk them through how this would work. Um, and even within the United States, there have been people that have asked us, you know, having the ability to uh, have the option for a 60 megawatt module of either using that output to create electricity or to create water, and that can be you know switched on and off. Um, so if if 
you know, the customer that owns the plant, if it's more economic for them to be making water because they can get more, uh, you know, it pays them more to produce water than it would to cr create electricity, they'd choose to, to create water. But there are probably times during the day when the electricity is worth more than the water would be. So it provides, you know, owners that option to be able to, you know, make that economic choice based upon what the markets are telling them. As well, it provides the option for, uh, you know, the general communities to have fresh water if need be and if economic. So it's, it's a pretty compelling case. Okay. And uh, <clears throat> so all this is contained in a, in a, uh, in a nice, nice uh, heavy-duty uh, capsule that can withstand an impact from a 747. The nuclear power module, which is the, the thermos bottle that I'm talking about, is contained within a pool of water, which is within a seismic category one building. So a big concrete building that's designed to withstand a 747 hitting it. Correct. Ah, very good. No, that's, that's impressive. And, and the, the extra optionality, the flexibility with a, a water, you know, kind of a, a desalination system. Now, that, that's, that's a big improvement in itself. But in addition to that, can, can, it, can it also treat like, for example, uh, storm drainage waters that you might have in, in big cities that just have a huge amount of uh, drainage that's dirty? It could, you could use the energy coming out of a new scale facility to power, um, you know, the systems required to do the stormwater treatment. The, you know, the new scale technology is not suited for actually doing the stormwater treat, treatment, but just like a desalination plant, you know, the energy that's coming out of a new scale facility can power the desalination plant to create the water. And, you know, essentially the new scale power module can create it, you know, it, it's, it's an energy source and that energy can be used for a multitude of different things, whether that's creating right. electricity or uh, doing desalination, which may be desalinization because of the electricity that the new scale facility is providing. Um, right. So it's the flexibility of taking that energy that's coming out of that nuclear power plant and using that for many different uh, applications uh, economically that makes the, the technology very compelling for other uses outside of electricity. Right, right. And yeah, it's, it's very, uh, very attractive. And uh, the, the strength, the strength of the materials that are going into this uh, technology and so forth is, is probably next to none. I mean, even, even in Fukushima with the, the epicenter of the earthquake there, uh, some of the power facility, the reactor facilities there that were closest to the epicenter um, did did very well, and were in fact a fortress for uh, for the community to to rally to. Um, if you if you check the actual the uh, the actual facts related to that incident, so it's it's impressive. So I can only imagine how 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 even more robust this technology is becoming, and the thought process behind the designs. Um, yeah, yeah, and we and we've been having. Uh studies done, independent studies of how well our plant would operate, you know, and continue to be able to operate after, you know, major earthquakes. It was one that I just uh, heard about this morning that was done. Uh, academics did a study based upon an earthquake in Chile that was an 8.8, .8, and they concluded that our plant was resilient enough to withstand the uh, 
that an 8.8 earthquake that happened in Chile and be able to come back online and be a first provider for electricity for you know the recovery of the area once uh, you know in the aftermath of an earthquake so it's a very resilient system and very seismically robust we we believe that you can build uh, this plant uh, you know in most places around the world virtually any place around the world uh, you know even in places that have you know above average seismic uh, issues right okay well yeah no it's it's interesting too and we'll we'll get into some other questions about the mobility of it uh, here in a moment um, so so kind of switching subjects a little bit uh, who does NewScale see as major clients kind of coming out of the gate? Is is the big focus on the existing utilities, government agencies, and big corporate clients? Um, the, our initial focus right now is on a project that we're working on uh, called the Carbon Free Power Project. Uh, the sponsor of that project is a company called UAMPS, which is the Utah Associated Municipal Power Systems. And that first facility uh, looks to be uh, coming online in the 2026 timeframe in the state of Idaho. Um, and we believe that that facility will uh, garner USDOE support to complete the facility um, and that we're going to put a consortium of you know, suppliers together to, to you know, build this technology first in the United States. It makes a lot of sense in the US for uh, new nuclear to be in places like uh, the western parts of the United States, where uh, you know gas, you know our our main competition, at least in the United States, as far as other generating technologies that are base load, would be natural gas combined cycle units, and therefore it makes sense where place you know where when natural gas is cheap as it is in the United States, that places that would most likely build what we're doing when they have the option of building a natural gas combined cycle unit would be in places where gas is, tends to be more expensive and harder to get, like in the western part of the United States. Um, so uh, we are focusing a lot on individual utilities that we know are interested because of the characteristics of those utilities. They need baseload power. They need firming power to back up uh, you know, a lot of the wind and solar that has gone into their grids over the recent years. Um, that includes not only domestic utilities, but we we're talking to utilities in Canada, uh, talking to utilities, you know, in on virtually every continent except Antarctica, uh, with respect to you know deploying the technology, and in some sense, uh, it's not just talking to utilities, but it, in some ways, it's also depending upon the country, it's talking to you know, the, the sovereign nation about their needs for power and about how, you know, certain countries really need the power, need the generation, and to be able to finance uh, plants in those areas of the world, um, it requires, you know, some sovereign backing from the, from the countries that are desiring to have the power put in. Right. Okay. No, it's, it's interesting, and of course, as you know, the the regulatory uh, hurdles that exist in the United States versus a place like, uh, you know, uh, a country in Africa or maybe a you know an Asia uh, type jurisdiction, you know, there's there's obviously different different time frames to commercial production in these in these areas, uh, and and certainly 
the NRC and, and the United States, of course, is the is the big the big hurdle, and yet the, the most you know uh, solid market to to deploy and test these. Um, so it's certainly interesting that you guys are. It's good that you guys are pursuing uh, all jurisdictions and and engaging with all different types of clients and and folks in need. Um, so New Scale is not yet a listed company. Uh, but tell us about management briefly, uh, the share structure if you want to, uh, the major backers, and uh, kind of how the, the company is set up, and, and how, do, how does it raise capital? Sure. So NewScale currently has uh, two major uh, backers. I don't want to call them equity backers because uh, one of those is the Department of Energy that has been putting, into, putting capital into NewScale under cost share programs. Um, so the Department of Energy, we've been very uh, lucky and fortunate to have their commitment to uh, help develop this technology. Um, initially, the technology way back when, when it started in the year 2000, so you know this has been going for a while, even before NewScale was going. Uh, it was started through a grant from the DOE to Oregon State University to develop a, a technology that eventually morphed into new scale technology. So DOE has been uh, certainly instrumental along the pathway that new scale has taken since the year 2000, 2000 to uh, keep us moving along, uh, both from a financial standpoint and as well as you know a backing within the government to uh, help us overcome what are some pretty big capital hurdles to be able to get something like this done. Uh, most nu nuclear technologies, and I don't think I'm speaking out of school here, to get a nuclear technology like what we're trying to do uh, through all the regulatory hurdles and do all of the engineering to be able to prove that it's safe and, and that you can commercially build it is a proposition that takes about at least a billion dollars in capital. And, uh, you know, trying to run a company for many years on equity capital when you need a billion dollars of capital is, you know, has been challenging. Fortunately, we've had, you know, department, significant Department of Energy support. Uh, to date, DOE has put in a little more than $275 million of cost share funding in the new scale. Um, and on top of that, the other portion of the cost share has come from private investors uh, mainly uh, Floor Corporation uh, that bought a majority stake in New Scale back in 2011. So from you know, 2011 through today, the vast majority of the capital required to get us along that path to commercial viability have been provided by DOE and Floor Corporation. Now, that being said, okay. we, are, we are out you know, looking for equity to, to complete the journey that we're on. Uh, as you said, we're not a public company yet. Uh, we may be someday. Uh, that likely won't be for several years yet. Um, we have you know, several hundred million dollars left to spend to get us to the point of being able to deliver on that first plant in Idaho by 2026. And uh, we believe that we will continue to get some funding from the Department of Energy. Uh, we believe that we will continue to get some funding uh, 
from our existing equity partners, uh, but we're also out looking for additional equity partners to get us uh, to the end of the line. And as I said, because of the length of time that it takes to do what we're doing and the large amount of capital it takes, uh, sometimes that can be, you know, it, it's a challenging proposition, but that, that challenge has over time been lessened by the progress that we've made and how much money has basically been spent on the technology to date. And therefore, uh, it's gotten easier for us now to talk to other sources of capital, um, be that financial capital, other strategic uh, players within our supply chain to hopefully provide some additional equity capital to get us to the end of the line. Right. Yeah, that, that sounds uh, sounds good. And, and uh, you know, hopefully there'll be some later on as, as the uh, as the initial uh, module gets uh, commercial commercial production and things go that route. It would be uh, excellent to see the orders come in and the down payments and kind of get things off the ground and get going. Um, so what what uh, so tell us about management and then also with that. Uh, is uh, if I recall, and maybe I could be incorrect, but uh, is is uh, Bill Gates's uh, Terra Power uh, have they have they been part of this as well? Uh, Bill Gates's Terra Power has has not been part of New Scale, um, so they're a separate entity, uh, which we've occasionally talked to, but they they have no no relationship with New Scale. Um, as far as our management team goes, uh, you know. We have a management team that has largely been in place for several years. Like I said, I've been at NewScale for 10 years. Our CEO uh, came to us from Floor Corporation in uh, the beginning of 2013. Uh, he's a veteran of both Floor and other private enterprises, um, and also has uh, you know, held positions within the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, uh, including chairman of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Um, so he's been significant in helping us get our message out to people and helping us, uh, you know, move further along in our technology and has been with NewScale for, you know, a significant period of time. Our chief operating officer has been with NewScale a little more than four years now. Uh, he's a nuclear veteran uh, with at least uh, 30 years of, of uh, nuclear power background. So he's a uh, very skilled and uh, you know, experienced uh, chief operating officer. And uh, I could go down the management ranks, but we have a, a number of people that have been you know, attracted to new scale within our management ranks all the way down to you know, our employees. Um, even to the, you know, to, to the lower levels of our employees, people that are straight coming out of college that really uh, believe in this technology, they believe in the need for the technology and the need for nuclear power going forward. And they, we all believe that this technology can change the world and that we can make a significant difference going forward in, you know, the, the realm of climate change and carbon-free generation. And that promise has really allowed us to you know, not only fill out the management ranks uh, with very skilled and uh, 
experienced folks, but also to, you know, to be able to attract and retain the technical talent that's required to do what we're doing, because there, there, you know, there aren't a whole lot of people in this world that, that know how to design a nuclear power plant. Uh, we've been fortunate to be able to have a, a lot, a lot of people come and uh, move their families to Corvallis, Oregon, to actually be a part of this journey with us. And you know, frankly, the the team that we have is is you know top notch and very refreshing. And you know, it's one of the reasons why I've been here for ten years and will continue to be here to see this through, uh, because the you know what we're trying to do is really meaningful to all of us. And we're all dedicated to making sure that we get to the end of the line and actually build a facility and, and build not only a facility in, in Idaho, but uh, also around the world. And yeah, it's, it's interesting you say that with the, the experts in the industry, there's, there's not much talent in the nuclear industry across the board, whether it's upstream or downstream, there's just not a lot of talent out there. It's a very small group of people, but yet they provide a baseload power, specifically in the United States, that uh, everybody gets to enjoy. So it's it's kind of a, a powered, if you will, or my iPhone or my electric car charges at night, thanks to a group of of nuclear nuclear power, uh, you know, professionals and workers and so forth. And uh, it's it's really interesting because it really is the backbone of the uh, the industry or the the energy mix in the United States, and especially more so as as coal coal comes off. And disappears, and you know, people finally come to the realization that you can't cover the entire, uh, you know, western western states with with uh, wind turbines and, and solar panels. And there's got to be some other options. And, and natural gas isn't necessarily the best uh, the best way to go either because it's not carbon free. And quite honestly, the safety factors of it is not anywhere close to what nuclear has for a safety record. And uh, last I checked, just recently, the NatGats price did just go up, and so the costs uh, is not looking as attractive. And so the the fuel inputs, natural gas has, can be very detrimental when natural gas rises. Uh, you know, maybe back to levels it was before. I think folks started to believe that uh, natural gas was something that was whatever would always be there and it would always be cheap. And uh, that may not be the case going forward. So. Uh, Another question, kind of uh, switching gears a little bit, or just kind of talking about the the major partner, Floor Corporation. Uh, what do they do, Jay? So Floor Corporation is a major constructor around the world. So they build roads, bridges, power plants. Uh, you know, they're a large construction firm. Um, so their interest in new scale, and the reason why they've continued to back us from an equity perspective is because they want to partner with us to actually build new scale plants. So new scale, uh, you know, new scale itself will not construct, you know, do the actual construction of the facility. That will be done uh, by floor. And uh, that is a large business in itself. New scale expects that, you know, because of the large capital needs just to own the intellectual property associated with, uh, you know, a nuclear technology, which as I, said is going to be more than a billion dollars. Um, that billion dollars is essentially intellectual property. Uh, we do not intend to manufacture the nuclear portion of the plant. We do not intend to build 
the plant. We're going to be looking to partners. We will not we will not be operating the plant. Uh, we need lots of different partners that have that type of expertise uh, to make all of this work going forward. And Floor Corporation, you know, is a one of the largest construction firms in the world, has worldwide reach, and is doing, you know, has invested in a new scale, not just to build a few plants in the United States, but also to build plants worldwide. Okay. No, I appreciate the clarification on that. And, and I think it makes sense to, to bring on the, the, the certain contractors and, and uh, partners to, uh, to, to get these different stages completed. And uh, we'll, we'll chat about that just a little bit more in a moment. Um, so, so Jay, we were kind of itching to, to ask you this. Uh, so we, we've got to know what the cost of one of these SMRs will be rolling out of the factory. Can you give us just a rough ballpark figure and the time to manufacture one of these? Sure. So um, the figures that I'll talk about first are what would be considered first of a kind, and then I can comment on what we think nth of a kind will be uh, once, you know, once the plant's built a few times, and we'll be learning that we'll make the capital cost of the plant likely uh, significantly cheaper. And we're talking, you know, between first and nth of a kind, we expect the cost to go down by about 20%. And that's what, you know, industry, uh, you know, uh, knowledge and industry, you know, what's happened in the industry in the past would dictate that it should be about 20% cheaper uh, after we built this a few times. Um, we're, we're roughly looking at for the first of a kind plant to be about $5,000 a kilowatt. Um, and that's in relation, you know, so, you know, a, a 720 megawatt plant times the $5,000 a kilowatt, you're talking, you know, $3.3 billion or so to build a 12 module 720 megawatt plant from a overnight construction cost. Um, and then again, we expect that to be somewhere in the realm of 15 to 20% cheaper as we get to nth of a kind. And when you compare that capital cost with uh, the capital cost of other generating technologies, uh, uh, say natural gas, which is our main competitor, at least in the United States, a natural gas combined cycle unit the capital portion of that plant costs anywhere from $1,000 to $1,200 a kilowatt. So it's much cheaper to build the capital portion of a natural gas fire plant. Um, the difference between you know, that type of asset and what nuclear power and new scale offers is once you build a nuclear power plant, um, the go forward costs are predictable and pretty much well known. So there isn't a whole lot of volatility in the in the uranium fuel and uranium is not a large cost component of the overall overall levelized cost of electricity of a new scale or any nuclear power plant. So the the you know the real cost of nuclear power tends to be in uh, constructing the facility and that's where the risks are. Once it's built uh, you know we have a, at least a significant operating history in this country with nuclear power that once it's built, it operates for a long time at a uh, competitive go forward rate. Um, now you contrast that with a natural gas combined cycle unit. Um, 
nuclear and new scale has a high capital cost uh, to put it in and then a low operating cost going forward. And a low operating cost that you know, we're, we're designing the plant for 60 years, uh, we expect it could, it could actually operate even longer than that. Um, a combined cycle unit costs only $1,200 a kilowatt roughly to build. Um, but over time, uh, it requires significant maintenance uh, that's costly, that adds to the you know, overall capital required for keeping the asset going. And more importantly, you, know, you have that natural gas component, uh, which while today natural gas is relatively cheap in the United States, um, natural gas can be, is very volatile. I mean, you can go from $3 an MMBTU to $10 an MMBTU in, you know, a period of, of a few days or a week, um, given, you know, right. the, you know, the natural gas markets and the way they are. Uh, you don't have that volatility in nuclear power on any operating cost. So, uh, and, and also realize that natural gas is cheap, uh, largely in the United States. Uh, it has gotten cheaper in other places around the world because of the United States, because of liquefied natural gas and LNG being able to be transported and making natural gas a more global commodity. But natural gas at the $3 an MMBTU level in the US, which it's kind of been at, right now it's a little, it's higher than that because of some issues going on in the gas markets and weather um, recently. But you know, last few years it's traded at about $3 an MMBTU. Um, in other places around the world, it does not trade at $3 an MMBTU. Uh, you know, LNG in places in Europe and Japan are easily six to $7 an MMBTU. And then at some periods over the last few years, it's been as high as 12 to $15 an MMBTU. So right. uh, by putting in nuclear power, you're, you are uh, locking in basically on a price for electricity for a long period of time and, and avoiding the volatility that might come from putting in a natural gas fire plant. Right. It's certainly a couple couple comments on what you said. You know, um, first of all, these things, these nat gas plants aren't going to run for 60 years, at least in my view. I, I don't, I, I'm sure you see that they're running for a lot less than that or, or the fact is Right, and 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 with that too is there's not enough operating history to have a really good idea of really how long these things are last. But my suspicion is is they will not be as robust as long lasting as as these uh, nuclear facilities. Uh, it's it's pretty obvious that uh, uh, a natural gas burner uh, is not going to last out like the components of a nuclear plant. So I I don't see that it would last that long. And you know you have these input costs that are substantially different, whether you're in Australia import, you know, exporting LNG from Australia to Japan and the issues internally domestically with the country having issues with the prices that they charge uh, rate payers in the country versus the export uh, rates that they're exporting at. The United States, uh, it will be no different and it's not going to be different this time. It won't be any different uh, when the markets levelize out and the cost of LNG, whether you're shipping it to Europe uh, to, to counteract you know, Russian pipelines or whatever it may be, uh, these costs are substantial. And it's only a matter of time before uh, 
the the enjoyment of these low nat gas prices uh you know start to start to creep up and and of course they have in the recent uh, month or so uh, quite quite substantially um so it'll be interesting to see how that kind of plays out so 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 Jay just kind of confirm me if I I'm right on my math so if I wanted to buy or if Corvallis wanted to buy a uh, 60 megawatt uh plant from Newscale they're looking at about 300 million if you only wanted a 60 megawatt plant the cost would be higher than that so there is some scale associated with putting uh you know all the infrastructure cuz you need to build a building around uh which is a, a significant portion of the cost of the plant so the the numbers I quoted you, you know, roughly five thousand dollars a kilowatt for the overnight cost of a plant is for a twelve module plant. It would be okay. more expensive, and we actually haven't done all of the engineering and cost estimates for uh, you know smaller facilities. Um, so okay. no, you can't you can't translate that for a, a sixty megawatt plant that it would just be three hundred million. It would be more than that. Sure, and I and I just did that in my ignorance, so I apologize. Um, but with with that too, is if you think about the solar solar panels and, and the cost of solar, the solar industry and the costs that 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 have come down significantly, and the competitiveness that that has come across in the solar industry, uh, your guys's figures of twenty percent uh, when these produ are produced on a mass scale, um, I think is quite conservative, and uh, I think that uh, I think we'll see in the future. That, that that figure will be uh, sur surpassed significantly, and uh, so I, I think that there's a lot of promising uh, improvements on the cost side. And already, just based on what you said, it already is competitive with the other the other energy forms. And then on top of that, too, is it is it offers carbon free, extremely low risk, uh, certainly certainly pouncing all of the other safety uh, records of these other forms, uh, you know, solar and wind out of the gate have already had a horrible safety record. Uh, their carbon footprint is not that good either. And, and that gas isn't much better. And we already know that coal is the worst of them all. Uh, so it's, <laughs> it, it certainly is promising, Jay. So it's good to, good to hear that. Um, so as far as other models, is there going to be anything smaller than 60 megawatts? Is there going to be in the future? Will there be uh, analysis or, or consideration for 25 megawatts or 50 megawatt units uh, for the purposes of mobility. Um, let's say, you know, we already kind of talked about, uh, you know, the nuclear technology and maritime applications uh, and, and how that would uh, benefit there. And then also, what about, you know, uh, emergency relief programs? Uh, maybe a Puerto Rico has a hurricane and they're out of power. Uh, how can these things be deployed in that application, maybe on a smaller scale? And then also, uh, you know, what about a mining project in uh, remote Alaska or in the, uh, the, you know, the deserts of Africa where they need temporary power for, for a mining operation? Right. So all of those are potential uses of, of our technology and, and viable potential uses of our technology. Um, with respect to whether, you know, we, we will have modules that are less than 60 megawatts, I think at some point, and, you know, we have looked at, you know, what would that look like to have a, because we could build a 10 megawatt module or a 25 megawatt module. Um, at the moment, we're focused on getting commercialized uh, the 60 megawatt module uh, to be deployed in 
a 720 megawatt plant. But in the future, the possibility of being able to, you know, have smaller module sizes certainly is there. Um, and, you know, even a 60 megawatt module has a lot of promise in places like remote communities and uh, mining places. And because uh, although it would be, as we talked about, more expensive on a capital cost basis to just put in 60 megawatts, um, usually what's your next best alternative when you're going up against in, in places like that is usually not natural gas, it's usually diesel fuel, which can be, which is extremely expensive way to generate electricity and also not very environmentally friendly. So, you know, the scalability and the size of our module really does lend itself to these different applications um, and different ways to deploy the technology. Um, we haven't worked through all of those yet because there's lots of different perturbations. Um, uh, but we intend in the future that we will. It all depends on, you know, what the market needs. Uh, right now, we're trying to get ourselves through the first project. Uh, once we get ourselves through that, uh, there's many different ways to look at this, many different perturbations that we believe, you know, depending upon the different market could be, you know, could be viable for us to look at and could be, you know, very beneficial to other places around the world. I appreciate the the, uh, the information on that. Um, so switching gears over a little bit back to regulatory, how is the relationship with the NRC and what is the remaining timeline in your view to get full clearances from the NRC to proceed towards commercial deployment? Well, I would say our relationship with the NRC has been has been very good. Uh, we've been uh, talking with the NRC uh, well before we put in our design certification application in 2016 is when we put the application in. Uh, we are the only small modular reactor technology, the only advanced reactor that is currently undergoing a review by the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Uh, as I mentioned, we put the application in uh, at the end of 2016, it got accepted or under the NRC uh, framework, they call it docketed in March of 2017. And that kicked off a process uh, that's nominally 40 to 46 months to complete the certification in the United States. And uh, we can say that we are on or ahead of the schedule to get that certification completed and done. Uh, we've completed uh, phase one of that certification. We're in the midst of phase two, three, and four, because the way it works, there are different chapters in the document that the NRC uses to certify us. And some of those chapters are in further, you know, some are in phase two, some are in phase three, some are in phase four of the review from the NRC. Uh, but we believe that we're on track to have the NRC essentially approve uh, our design by September of 2020 and to have the rulemaking, which is the legal process that would happen thereafter done by January of 2021. That's that 40 to 46 month schedule that I was referencing before. Um, we currently don't see anything that will stop us from completing that certification. Um, and I would say, okay. you know, the NRC has been very good in working with us because uh, 
one of the challenges that we face, as well as many other reactors designs that are behind us, are you know our technology is a little different than what's currently available today. So one of the advantages of our technology is that about 95% of it is the same as what you'd see in a traditional nuclear power plant today. But it's right. the things that are a little different that take uh, that get a lot of scrutiny and take a lot of time to make sure that they're you know safe for the public and that's what the NRC needs to do. Um, and there are many other technologies that are you know in development today. There's at least 35 other companies that are working on new nuclear concepts in the United States and Canada. And uh, all of those concepts will have similar challenges that we've had, which is, you know, you need to, for something that's a little different, you need to be able to prove that it, uh, everything is safe and within the public's interest, um, which we believe we, we have done and are continuing to do, and we'll get our, through that regulatory process. But yes, it is a, you know, it's, it's a, a costly and time-consuming process to get through a major regulator like the NRC. Um, and uh, many people behind us will be coming, likely coming, you know, in the coming decade to also go through the NRC process so that they can build in the United States. Um, and it, it, it is challenging, but we believe that we are firmly on the path to getting this done in the time frame and at the cost that we had projected it would cost. Right. And it'll be it'll be good to to potentially, you know, get this through and you guys as a first mover ahead of the ball, you know, ahead of everybody else, uh is certainly good and, and with the the folks that are currently heading up those offices uh, of concern, uh, you know, appear to be quite uh, workable and they, they understand the importance of of getting this through and with your guys's you know technology you know pwr uh you know that's that's good um having that in place and then of course uh, you know using probably some of the f same fuel mixes and same uh styles of fuel which which we'll discuss just briefly in a moment uh makes makes a lot of sense to uh, uh you know help push through and say hey look this is this is nothing nothing you know out of the ordinary you guys have plenty of applications and plenty of information and, and uh historical evidence on, on some of these technologies. So that's that's also a good piece of the, the new scale story. Instead of trying to completely reinvent something, you guys are taking something, making it even better, and then, uh, you know, with the making it, you know, where you can produce it in a manufactured, you know, facility, uh, you guys are really just kind of looked at all the aspects and selected the keys that really make the most sense kind of across the board. Uh, so it's pretty pretty impressive. Um, so another another question, Jay, that came across uh, from one of our readers: um, uh, Australia, a, a modern country that happily mines uranium, but has yet to deploy an, any form of nuclear power. Uh, these types of countries, specifically Australia, how does NuScale plan to make an impact on the Aussie energy mix? Well, certainly we have talked with. Uh and been in contact with people from Australia with respect to, you know, potentially deploying new scale technology in Australia. Um, we do think that, you know, for lots of reasons, uh, Australia would benefit from uh, nuclear power for the same reasons that 
many other countries you know would that, that being you have a technology that's carbon free that's economic and it also provides you energy security which for many countries is a, is a key you know the ability to not be beholden to a natural gas supplier or some other fossil fuel supplier that may not be within your country and that may not be you know which you may not control and uh, Australia certainly has a lot of uranium and uh, it makes it seem to make even more sense to utilize some of that uranium in a you know, new scale facility going forward. Um, but you know, we have been afforded the opportunity with both Australia and other countries to actually discuss our technology uh, with people both within the government, outside the government that are interested in potentially deploying the technology. And uh, I would say that, you know, over time, as new scale continues to develop and they can see that we're on a path to actually deploy the technology here in the, you know, near to medium term, that uh, the pragmatism of climate change and, uh, you know, energy security and all these things that are inherent in new, new scale technology um, make it a pretty compelling case to bring it to countries that even may not have any history in nuclear power. And we've been talking to places around the world. I won't mention all the countries that um, have you know, zero nuclear infrastructure, but they recognize the need to have clean, baseload, secure power. And when they look at the options that are in front of them, uh, they don't see too many, and we are one of their, you know, few options that they can have to have that clean, secure baseload power. Right, right, and and having that NRC stamp of approval would be really key to be able to show that as evidence of uh, the robustness of the technology to other to other jurisdictions, and you know whether it's uh, you know a Canadian authority approval, the the U.S. authority approval. Uh, and even even a you know a, a Japan you know NRA approval uh, you know Japan certainly has their challenges with with uh, you know weaning themselves off off the LNG and getting back to restarting um, which they've been doing and so it, these these regulatory agencies having these kinds of marks of approval and even even Jay with that too you know uh, you know Russia if I'm sure you've noticed because you follow it quite well. You know, Russia has made a really big attempt to step out and to finance, to offer construction, to offer their reactor designs uh, in these other countries. If you look at, you know, Saudi Arabia doing procurement for potentially, you know, doing reactors and you have Egypt and you have construction in Turkey, you have these different places that uh, Russia has really, uh, Argentina uh, has really gone after promoting uh, getting nuclear power into it. And it would be nice to see more of an attempt by you know US-based nuclear technology to go after and, and compete in this market because you know Russia certainly wants the wants the business they want to control the fuel cycle they want to have those pieces the financing and so it's uh, it's really interesting the the global dynamics that are at play right now and and how new scale has an opportunity to really just you know disrupt the nuclear industry if you will yeah, and certainly that dynamic, you know, that geopolitical dynamic is kind of, you know, it's 
somewhat unique to nuclear power. I mean, you don't really talk about that with wind and solar and natural gas, uh, you know, other generating technologies. And you're right. You know, one of the key components is, you know, providing the financing for these plants. Because al although a new new scale facility is not going to be a you know ten billion dollars for each reactor or twelve billion dollars for each reactor, and then you got to build a couple of them, so you're into you know twenty five billion dollars worth of capital, which many countries can't just simply can't do, and they need financing for that. But even even a three billion dollar power plant for many countries is difficult to finance. And uh, certainly other countries like the Russians, to some extent the Chinese as well, and other countries um, you know, are interested in pushing their nuclear technologies and they can do that with state-backed financing. And uh, currently we, you know, there isn't a real good option in the United States to do that. That may change uh, over time, um, but that is part of the competitive dynamic and we do certainly spend time talking to our government about that competitive dynamic um, and about you know the geopolitical nature of the nuclear industry and how new scale and thereby the United States can play in that realm. Yeah, absolutely. And you know whether it's going you know getting getting financing from international sources and so forth the the uh, the u s the u s government has certainly fallen behind in this regard and, and China and Russia have certainly taken market share on the global stage in this regard and I think that it needs to be addressed and be considered and I think there there might be a little bit of a light coming out of the you know end here uh, as as things kind of progress with some different actions that are starting to occur and of course with your guys' uh you know, voice there. It's also important as, as you know, arguably the the leader of the of the SMR space. Um, so switching gears again, um, what what are the major raw materials? If you can give the audience kind of a just a rough rough brief idea, what are the major raw materials that that New Scale is going to need uh, to uh, to manufacture the SMRs? And give us an idea of of how you might go about that procurement. Well. Uh, procurement will be a, a big part of what New Scale will be about uh, as we get into this phase, which we're currently entering, of uh, being able to deploy a, a plant. So we are in the midst of trying to figure out with you know, a global supply base how to put together all of the different pieces that are necessary, not only for the nuclear part of the plant, but also for the uh, balance of plant, you know, turbines and lots of pipes and valves. Um, largely, you know, when you get down to raw materials, it's a lot of steel and a lot of concrete. And uh, for the most part, once you get past the nuclear portion of the plant, so that thermos bottle that I was referring to, the rest of the plant is, and, and that nuclear thermos bottle is about 30% of the capital cost of the plant. So the other 70% of the capital cost of the plant is largely, uh, you know, components and materials that people have been used to using for decades, if not 100 years. So it's essentially it's a, it's a steam plant. It's the same back end steam plant that would be on a, you know, the steam system of a natural gas combined cycle unit. It's the same steam plant that's on the back end of a coal plant. Um, you know, very well known, and frankly, we're in designing that balance of plan, a lot of it's going to be 
commercial off-the-shelf items. Um, and, and that lends itself well to the economics of, of what we're trying to do with new scale. Um, uh, but certainly, you know, we are entering that phase, that challenging phase of finishing a design and then using that design to actually deploy and, and buy all the materials for a customer to, you know, deploy all of that. And that will be, you know, that will take several years as we get ready to uh, construct that facility in Idaho. And, you know, 2019, 2020, we're going to be heavily into figuring all of that out so we can actually start doing construction on that facility. Um, but frankly, that's also one of the reasons why, you know, a lot of, we get a lot of interest from places around the world because they want, you know, different countries around the world want to be a part of that supply chain and it, it's, you know, jobs for their people. Um, you know, this plant, both in the construction and the operation of it, you know, requires, you know, a skilled workforce and, you know, is a, a, a relatively high paid skilled workforce. Um, so all of those components, you know, as we figure this out are really important to, you know, the ultimate deployment of the technology, but they're also, you know, a, a good story and, you know, lend to the economics of what we're trying to do as we go into different places and, and pitch our technology. Yeah, interesting. It'll certainly be a, a quite a bit of different materials that'll go in here, and, and certainly, you know, the steel, the, the strength of the steel, and, and the quality, and, and these different components that'll go into it. And, and obviously, we know that, uh, you know, the nuclear fuel, uh, the, the uranium component of that as well. So it'll be uh, it'll be fun to watch how you guys go about the procurement and I know there's been some announcements uh, with with announcing you know various uh, suppliers and vendors that have that are starting to contribute towards this uh, facility in Idaho so it'll be good to good to watch that uh, play out um, so kind of on, on nuclear fuel side um, as you know the uranium mining business has suffered quite a bit since Fukushima supply from major producers has been significantly cut and prices of uranium have been well below the cost of production uh, for a number of years. As a result, a, a few U.S. producers have filed a Section 232 petition with the Department of Commerce that is pending an outcome within the next six months. What's your view on the uranium mining business at this stage? Well, I can't say I have a, a real global view of the, of the whole business, but I would say, uh, you know, new scale endeavors to help the nuclear industry out, the nuclear fuel industry out by uh, serving a market that we think is is huge, that there there will be a very big market for what we're doing, and that will create a pull through for the nuclear fuel industry because this will require a lot of nuclear fuel going forward. So uh, we are hoping that in our success, that that will alleviate you know some of these issues that the supply chain on uranium, you know that you know, all of the all of the issues with the declining nuclear base over time, uh, that we will change that. And uh, that the you know, nuclear, or that the uranium suppliers will be happy to partner with us going forward uh, to utilize their product. Right, and with the Section 232 petition that's out there, I think 
hopefully there'll be some awareness raised when there is a decision when rendered by the Department of Commerce and the president. Uh, I think there'll be some kind of a positive outcome uh, in favor of the U.S. Uh, producers, and, and hopefully that will start to raise more awareness about the national security interests and the issues that are that are being faced there with the uh, you know uranium supply and where it where it presently comes from to uh, you know more or less uh, power these reactors that are in existence in the U.S. and, and of course resulting in the powering of you know uh, public homes. Um, so uh, with that, on the same topic, Jay, if, if you don't mind. Give us give us an idea of how NewScale views the contracting throughout the fuel cycle. Does NewScale plan to secure direct contracts from miners to conversion, to enrichment, to fuel fabrication, or is the company looking to contract out this entire fuel cycle procurement to a third party? Um, you know, certainly most of that is all up in the air. Currently, we do have a fuel supply agreement for the first plant. And that agreement uh, is we contract out essentially for the fuel um, from a fuel supplier that is will be providing, uh, you know, the fuel rods not, you know, processed and all the way ready to be put into one of our plants. So somebody that would uh, work back into the supply chain of the of the uranium supply chain. All the way back to mining to be able to put that into a package that will sell to us to put into our plant. Actually, it would be selling to the to the ultimate end customer. Um, so that's the model that's in place currently for the first plant. Um, how that will work going forward is unclear. Um, although my own personal view is that that's likely the model that would go forward. I mean, that's the model that currently exists within the existing fleet of nuclear power plants is, uh, you know, there are a couple of global vendors for uh, PWR fuel, and typically the existing nuclear power plants purchase uh, their uranium fuel rods ready to be put into their plant from those vendors, and those vendors are not necessarily the, the miners of the uranium. Right. So, so give us. I'm gonna I'm gonna bother you just a little bit more on this on this fuel side. So, uh, for example, um, when you guys manufacture these uh, in a facility, and you guys have you know manufacturing contractors have been set up, and so forth. When these things are being shipped from the factory to the site, are these coming loaded with with uh, the fuel rods, or the fuel rod is it loaded on site? And give us an idea with with that explanation. Give us an idea of how long these uh, modules uh, operate without having to refuel, and then uh, what what is the rough consumption uh, on startup and at refueling? Initially, doing a fuel load for a new plant, first, we, we will not be shipping modules with fuel in them. Um, that would create all kinds of problems and makes little sense. Uh, we okay. will be shipping the modules in their pieces to the site and it will get fueled for the first time on the site. So, and, and that first initial fueling really looks an awful lot like just a regular refueling that'll occur uh, on a two year periodic basis. So one of the other questions you ask is, you know, how often do you refuel these? Um, 
the way the supply chain is currently set up and the way under current regulation, uh, we will be refueling the reactors every two years. So if you have a 12 module plant, we can take one module off every two years and refuel it while the other 11 modules are producing electricity, put it back, and then a month later, take another one, uh, refuel it, take it offline, put it back, so that the refueling uh, for a new scale facility will become rather routine. And, you know, not a, typically at a, a large power plant, nuclear power plant today, it's either an 18 month or two year fuel cycle. And you have to, you take the entire plant down, you lose a thousand megawatts uh, for, you know, a month to, or two or three weeks, you know, if they're really good at doing the refueling outage, uh, bring a lot of people on to do that refueling outage. And then when you, you're done your refueling outage, those specialists all leave. Well, ours is going to be done a little differently and should be much more efficiently because we're going to be doing a refueling of one module, although it'll be every two years, uh, we'll then go and do the next one, say a month later. And the reason why it's every two years is not necessarily that you couldn't put enough enriched fuel into one of these modules to have it operate for longer than a two-year period before refueling it. It's more under current regulation uh, with the NRC. Uh, we need to have certain components inspected on a two-year basis. And uh, we need to comply with that. We expect that uh, once we have a plant operating and, and can show that it's probably unnecessary to do uh, these inspections every two years, maybe the inspection frequency can be pushed out somewhat, then it's likely that our refueling, you know, if, if the inspection cycle gets pushed out, that our refueling outages would be pushed out and we'd use a different, you know, different mix of fuel to allow us to, you know, push out those refueling uh, intervals. But <clears throat> the way it's set up right now is we will do, you know, a traditional refueling, but it'll be a little different because it, it's going to be happening on a much smaller basis because one module at a time over a 24-month period. Okay. And do you guys, do you have a rough, uh, the, the refueling time from, from the start of the outage uh, till, till refiring? Uh, what's, what's the time frame on that? Um, I believe, and I'm probably not the best guy to answer this question, but I believe that we're talking 10 days to take a module out and put it back in. Wow. Probably shouldn't put me on that one though. I know it's, no, well, I know it's, still... a, it's a compressed time frame from what uh, a traditional plant has to do. Cause it's much more complicated to do a thousand megawatts core than to do a 60 megawatt core that has, that's essentially the same type of fuel, fuel rods, but they're half height fuel rods. There's just much right. less to be done. And and with that, is the composition of the fuel for the for the, the new scale SMRs is it is it uh, exactly the same as the the big conventional PWRs, or is there new technologies maybe a maybe a light bridge uh, type technology that's being considered at this point uh, to to improve the safety uh, ratings of these uh, fuel assemblies? Well, I would say that there are other fuel assemblies that we can potentially use and that we will look at using going forward. Uh, 
Um, but we've made a conscious effort, just as we have in many other areas, where the path of least resistance to actually get you know, the first plants up and going is to do things in the same way they're being done today. So our right. fuel is essentially the same fuel that's used in PWRs today. The fuel rods are, there's just fewer of them and they're half height instead of the full height that you'd see in a, in a larger plant. And right. we did that very consciously just because we knew that, that we'd be able to get that through a regulator in a reasonable period of time. Um, because trying to license a new fuel and new technology on top of trying to license a new technology like we're doing would uh, only make it longer for us to get to market. Okay. Can, no, and that makes complete sense. Um, very smart, very smart method and route to use. So, uh, do you, uh, Jay, realistically, um, how soon do you see SMR technology really becoming the focus of the nuclear industry? And, and to, maybe to clarify my question a little bit, do you see SMRs as really, in the coming decades, as really the future of nuclear power? Well, first, we think that we are already begin, becoming to getting the point of, of being a focus within the, you know, at least the new nuclear industry. Um, you know, notwithstanding that we have lots of reactors already today operating and there's issues around keeping those operating and continuing going forward, uh, which are separate from issues around putting in new nuclear. But with respect to new nuclear, um, and, and clearly, we're not the only, uh, you know, the only possibility out there. There clearly are other, you know, the, the large reactors are still out there. Um, you know, our view, at least in the United States, is that it's unlikely that anybody's going to build, you know, either the EPR, which is the what had been the Areva technology, I guess it's now owned by EDF uh, in the U.S. any longer, that it's unlikely that any AP-1000s, given what's happened in Georgia and South Carolina, that any more of those will get built in the United States. Um, you know, it, it appears to us that um, if there's going to be any new nuclear in the United States, and the only one that's you know, really has any legs is the one that we're working on right now in Idaho, um, that it will be, you know, new nuclear technology, not the existing large plants, at least in the U.S. Um, certainly around the world, there are countries that are looking at, you know, should they be bu building uh, large reactors? Should they be building small modular reactors like what we're doing? Um, and we certainly get a lot of interest from people uh, with respect to now looking at our technology uh, and seeing it as viable going forward uh, than we would have, you know, certainly 10 years when I got here, it was difficult to get anybody to uh, consider what we were doing at all. Uh, that has that completely changed. You know, I believe that SMRs and new scale in general, going forward, uh, will do well in the generating marketplace for a lot of the reasons that we've talked about. 
there are other competitors there, but if you you know if you look at what's currently available, um, we look pretty good, especially in the time you know to be able to uh, you know deploy a small modular reactor technology, at least in the time frames that we're talking to in the 2020s. Uh, you know, it's very promising for us and would difficult to contemplate other small modular reactors or other advanced reactors being built in that time frame. Right, and I, I think the peers are watching, and I think they get they get that there is something uh, going on here that is quite attractive. And you know, some of the you know, if if these then the new scale uh, SMRs can can scale even higher than than you know uh, some of the upper limits presently being looked at, uh, you know, to compete with some of these massive conventional reactors coming online in China right now, um, you know, I think that there is a, a significant market and the fact that they can be, you know, taken offline independently, refueled uh, and continue to run grid power from the others uh, is very, very attractive. And uh, so I think, I think you guys are onto something quite, quite interesting in the approach uh, is very unconventional, but makes a lot of sense. And, uh, is very smart in my view. So I, I think that there's going to be quite an adoption going forward uh, as we kind of come out of the gate. And I think it really just hinges on you guys uh, getting those approvals and getting uh, getting some of those initial uh, prototypes and reactors out there in Idaho and getting some of this other stuff off the ground. I think those will be kind of the groundbreakers that are really get focused on it. Um, so uh, Jay, is there anything that you'd like to add about new scale that we didn't cover? Wow, I think we we covered an awful lot, um, and certainly I appreciate all the questions and all the discussion around what we're doing because uh, getting this out to people and getting especially those in the financial community, uh, you know, more up to speed on what we're doing uh, to us is extremely valuable uh, because we we need not only does New Scale need capital, but there's going to be a lot of capital that needs to be deployed just in building plants whether that's our plant or somebody else's plant. Um, and, you know, extremely valuable to be able to, you know, walk through our story with you and hopefully have your listeners uh, listen in. And really, I think we, we pretty much covered the whole gamut of it. Oh, good. Well, uh, well, for those who want to learn more about NewScale and those who want to know about investment opportunities with the company, where should they go? Well, certainly... Uh, with respect to investments, uh, they should contact uh, me, and my my information is up on our website. And generally, our, our website is is a very good source of information for anybody you know interested in learning anything about New Scale. Uh, that website is uh, www.newscalepower, which is n-u-s-c-a-l-e-p-o-w-e-r.com, and uh, I'm up there with my contact information with respect to any potential investors, and there's also a wealth of information on there with respect to, you know, technically what we're doing, and you know how we're how we're looking to bring this to market. Okay, and Jay, you guys are uh, New Scales open accredited investors, and of course uh, anything above that. Correct. So we are a private company currently, uh, structured as a limited liability company. And so we're not out doing a general solicitation, but we are uh, out looking for investors that are accredited, uh, 
you know, that meet the SEC requirements for accreditation that, you know, could put capital in and, and you know, the, the levels of capital we need are such that we typically won't talk to somebody that, you know, has $100,000 or $200,000. Uh, unfortunately, the, the size, the bite size that we need is more in the millions of dollars per investor, uh, given uh, our burn rate and, and the work that we have to do going forward. Um, but we are interested in talking to anybody, you know, who meet that criteria and, and is accredited in the United States. Okay. Well, that's good information. Jay, appreciate that. Well, it's been a pleasure. Uh, good luck at New Scale, and we appreciate you taking the time. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate you know all the discussion and all the time you've taken to hear our story. Thanks.